Hey, everybody. Melissa McKenzie, publisher of The American Spectator here on The Spectacle with Scott McKay, contributing editor to The American Spectator, editor, editor of Reviver.com and TheHayRide.com. And fair warning, everyone, we're already booted from YouTube, so we have nothing to lose and That's too right. conservative. We're letting it all hang out today. We're letting it all hang out. The, our, our valiant producer said the title of this uh, podcast is going to be uh, Prepare to Be Offended. No, wait. What was it? Prepare to Be. Yep, that was that, it. That's as, that that's was as it. good as anything. <laughs> okay, so prepare to be offended. We're going to get right in there and talk about one of Scott's favorite topics. He's already been uh, um, raked over the coals by uh, CNN, CNN for um, using the term obnoxiously gay in his book, The Revivalist Manifesto, which you should all go out and buy. And sure. um, and we're talking about um, what happened in the hallowed halls of the Senate um and uh gay porn i personally think it's kind of fitting but everybody else seems to be offended by it <laughs> well we can maybe explore uh that uh the the, the question of of fit uh in a second <laughs> um but i i do want to launch in because to catch everybody up who like hasn't read all my stuff at the american spectator and uh, didn't follow per se the the CNN controversy surrounding the revivalist manifesto. CNN goes and does an attack on Mike Johnson because he wrote the foreword for the book, right? And uh, their attack was, oh, this is a racist and homophobic book full of conspiracy theories, yada yada, yada. all of this crap that the that people from CNN would write. But the thing that seemed to um, tick them off more than anything else was that I called Pete Buttigieg obnoxiously gay, all right? In other words, there's gay, and then there's obnoxiously gay. And uh, CNN apparently doesn't think that there's uh, a threshold by which you, you become be. obnoxiously gay. And so of late, I think uh, it's appropriate to explore that threshold Seeing as though we have news, news hooks that pop all the time that give us an opportunity to do so. For example, I had a column last week at The Spectator that talked about how the obnoxiously gay are coming for Abilene Christian University in Texas, who has uh, decided to promote a holy sexuality week at the end of finals in December. Now, Abilene Christian is a Church of Christ university. One of the things that the Church of Christ is all about is, hey, sex is not for entertainment. Sex is for procreation, which, you know, they didn't make that up. That's in the Bible pretty explicitly. Um, and so the whole thing is, is it's like you shouldn't engage in sex unless you are married um, to someone of the opposite sex. Well, they go and they do this and... Uh, like 2,000 people who claim that they are students, alumni, and friends of the university. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they're very friendly friends at that. Um, <laughs> but it's in this letter uh, bitching about Abilene Christian's Holy Sexuality Week. And, you know, this is not inclusive. And mm -hmm. it's discriminatory against people who want to practice sodomy. Uh, and all of these other things. And basically, Abilene Christian University's president and their board 
got together in response and said, get Ben. And not well, so many. To which the gay people said, gladly. Yeah, they're like, no, we want you to get bent with us. And it's like, okay, that's not going to happen. So right. in other words, this is pretty much the same thing as like the uh, gay couples who go to the Christian baker and say, hey, you have to make us a wedding cake. And the guy goes, mm -hmm. I don't make gay wedding cakes. Let me give you the names of some people who do, right? And they go, no. You have to give us a uh, make us a game, right? Because if you don't do it, it means that you're discriminating against us, right? Which is also obnoxiously gay. Now, um, what we're about to talk about now is yet another example of something that is clearly obnoxiously gay, which is not just make the making of gay porn videos in the Senate Judiciary Committee room and then posting them on. I don't even want to know where this stuff originally got posted, right? I don't know if it was like a grinder account or some kind of thing where like, but anyway, this guy who is a staffer, one of these dudes with a hyphenated last name uh, is a staffer for Ben Cardin, I think, the Democrat from Maryland, okay. who they're now calling Ben Dover Cardin. And I don't know that that's really appropriate. Like, I think that that may actually be obnoxiously straight to call him. I think that's obnoxiously like, yeah. You're like, bend over, Carton? I, mm -hmm. I think that's probably too much, right? I mean, Maybe. it is his staffer who's like actually been over. But I don't want to necessarily go that far. So don't call him bend over, Carton. Like, whatever you do, don't, don't call the it. man bend over, Carton. Okay? So now, uh, like, he got fired, and he goes on, I think it was LinkedIn or somewhere, and he claimed that he was persecuted because he's gay. Mm. I regard not just the gay porn piece obnoxiously gay, right? Because you could make the, I mean, gay or straight having sex in the Senate Judiciary Committee room can be described as defiling them, which you are not supposed to do if you get paid by the Senate, okay? But what's really, really I mean, you're not, that's not part of the job description, defiling <laughs> Just defiling. Well, there's defiling and there's defiling, mm -hmm. right? I think I think um, exchange of bodily fluids is probably further than Scott. You know, like, the White House says. <laughs> hey, we're letting it all hang out today. So stop. stop uh, clearly, um, you know, like there's things that Sheldon White House says, and that's defiling. i like, but and then there's there's this, which then there's I think this is a little further. Mm -hmm. um so uh anyway he's persecuted because he's gay and that's what's obnoxious mm -hmm. right so and there you get this with the the the, the groomer books in the library right mm -hmm. this is the same thing so like gay porn is not porn right because if you complain about the porn which is gay porn mm -hmm. then it means that you're a bigot against gay people to which the response is okay. i'm complaining about the porn we had no trouble banning the straight porn from the library mm -hmm. now there's gay porn and we have to accept the gay porn because it's gay right like in other words this is right. homo supremacism is what this is right homo supremacism uh, and like i i don't think that you're out of line saying um no porn is porn uh you're not you don't get protected porn because it's gay porn like right we don't want the porn and <laughs> gay people are capable of making porn as well it's 
<laughs> and all of this is it's so derivative, right? Like this is the same thing as like the Ibram X Kendi people are like, yeah, black people can't be racist because there's a power component to racism. And so we can't be guilty of it. It's like, um, mm -hmm. there are neighborhoods where you can clearly see who's in charge and it ain't, you know, the white man. So, well, I mean, Harvard are capable the, of being racist. The Harvard right? neighborhood. Yes, gay being, people are capable of porn. Right. The Harvard neighborhood is racist against white people, it appears apparently. So. <laughs> it appears so. Um, but this is like, this is not, and so I'm on a quest to find out where the threshold is uh, for obnoxiously gay. And I think that I have found, ev you know, evidence that it's possible to cross that threshold. And I am looking for some validation from the legacy corporate media to say, okay, yes, this is obnoxiously gay. Because um, I think Pete Buttigieg has crossed that threshold. But you're not allowed to say that he's obnoxious. Right. To do so would make you a homophobe. Well, as though you were scared of Pete Buttigieg. But if you have flown on a plane of late, you absolutely should be scared of Pete Buttigieg. And right. Not because he's gay. <laughs> yeah, because he's completely incompetent and um, should be in his job. In, what are you? You're an incompetentophobe? Is that a word? Incompetentophobe? I am an incompetentophobe. That I am. I am. Yes. I am afraid of incompetent people in powerful positions. So, yes. and we have a whole administration like that. So like, you know, yes, you um, I, I'm scared pretty much nonstop. Thank you, Biden. Thank you. And I think the rest of America is in the same boat. We're just like yeah. waking up and wondering what nightmare thing scenario we have to face. In fact, today, like I was looking, um, at some consumer data, like the average American has eight, over $8,000 in credit card debt, almost 9,000. And um, the amount of commercial lending or the amount of like bad, bad commercial debt on the books of banks has skyrocketed. So a lot of things are coming together and not in a good way. Um, and uh, so everybody is, I think everybody is uh, a government phobe. I don't know what what, what was incompetent a phobe, um, yeah. a Biden phobe. I mean, his um, poll numbers are doing fantastic. I mean, yeah, well, and uh, you know, it's amazing that they are now indignant, the Democrats, indignant that people do not accept or appreciate the rampant successes of Bidenomics. Mm. Why is his, why his approval in the Washington Post has this piece uh, Sunday or Monday, uh, you know, the Bidens are you know, beside themselves over Joe's poor approval ratings. And Joe mm. and the first lady had a meeting with the key staffers over the Thanksgiving holidays. And they're just beside themselves and can't believe it. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, they're the aggrieved party because people just don't appreciate how super successful this administration is. And it's like, okay, sure. I, the thing is with all of this- Cool I, story, I, bro. Well, I, I'm just, the amount of kind of, I think that they're looking at the unemployment data and they're, and they're thinking most people who want a job have a job. 
I think they're I, I think they're looking at some of these things and what they're not realizing is that people are working their tails off and going behind every month that they can't yes. that that they can't make it month to month and that there there's a sense of panic especially uh, in the low and middle class so they're working as hard as they've always worked their dollars aren't going as far and now they're slipping behind and that that sensation of i can't fix this i can't work more than i am i there's nothing i can do to get out of the hole that i'm in and I don't know what to do. Like I can't sell my house because I couldn't afford to live somewhere else. Right. You know, like if if I'm that tight. So what am I going to do? Default on my home loan. So what people are doing is they're defaulting on their car loans. Yeah. So a huge percentage of people in October have missed their car payment again. And this has happened now for like three or four months. Well, the problem is, is that they can't buy another car because the used right. car market is so inflated and their dollars aren't buying anything. And so like if people are jammed in, in this kind of stagflation thing that we're seeing, well, gas prices are going down and that's not a good sign. People aren't traveling. People aren't driving. They're trying to cut anywhere that they can and they can't do it. They've done everything yeah. they can and now they're just going behind every month. Well, that's full on panic for an average family who is enduring that kind of thing. And for Biden and the administration to not understand this at all, you know, I'm not a, a, a close to the bone person. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm not in that position. And my food bills are killing me. And my, my kids have moved out of the house my, you know, I'm on my own and I'm, I have been experimenting, trying to not waste food and figure out how that I can make my food bills less, you know, like what, what can I do? Because all the sizes of things have shrunk. So like, you know, if you went to Costco, you went to the store and bought a bag of salad, which we all do. It's the same price maybe, but it's half the food. Right. And this is the case in a lot of different areas. Yeah. I Like I went yesterday, I'm at the grocery store mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it was $150 grocery bill. Mm -hmm. And uh, it struck me that I carried all of the stuff mm -hmm. from the trunk into the house with in one hand. Mm -hmm. No, not one, one truck. Like, you know, I mean, they're all plastic bags and you put them on your wrist and whatever. I carried the whole thing in with one hand, had right. my left hand free to open the door. And I'm like, $150 worth of groceries in one hand. Right. Wow. Right. Wow. And I mean, I didn't like, yeah. I, I'm not buying, you know, freaking Kobe beef here. Right. Um, you know, and it's just it's like, this is outrageous. And they're like, mm -hmm. oh, but we've stopped inflation. Okay. Let me explain something to you guys. Right. All right. You may, after you ran inflation up in you know double figures, because you can massage the numbers. Oh, it was only eight or nine percent. Wrong. It was fifteen percent for things people have to buy. It was right. more. It was way more than. That. So you ran these numbers up, and now basic essentials are thirty percent higher, twenty five percent higher, whatever. Right. Okay. 
pricing them above what people can afford. All right. And then you say, ah, but inflation's back down to two or three percent. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm still drowning. I'm underwater. And the credit card debt that I am having to accrue in order to try to make ends meet, that credit card debt is at 20%. Right. So say what you want, but my debt service pulls my uh my purchasing power down every bit as much as that 10% inflation. Right. And of course, they know all of this stuff. They're they're pretending to be ignorant of it because they're hoping that people will look at, oh, look, we've got all these statistical uh, statistical proof that this economy is awesome, right? right? And they think they can shut everybody up based on it. And now they're starting to realize that they can't because people have a personal story to tell and right. it's not good. Um, I was on um, yesterday, uh, Dan Prof's show in Chicago. Uh, the morning answer, which if you're in the Chicago area, you know all about it. He's the iHeart. He and J Amy Jacobson have the iHeart um, morning show over there, which is phenomenal. I'm on the show and he, the prof brings out this polling that Tony Fabrizio has done. Mm -hmm. And the public is just so spitting mad about the economy right. and down on like America and the future. Like it's never been this poisonously bad. It's right. a Especially, you would think it's old people that were like really, really mad uh, about all this stuff. Fabrizio's like, no, it's people under 50 who are the most pissed off about the economy. Like, in other words, these are people who um, like, you know, maybe came of age during the Great Recession, right? And you would think that and like have never really seen that much of a booming economy because they're younger and they weren't like around mm -hmm. to see the eighties and all this kind of stuff mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. They're the ones most pissed off. Right? right. And so that's like a deep seated long-term problem because mm -hmm. these are folks who like they read about the America, they think they should have in books. Like they, it's been so long. Like, like they've never even seen it. They saw a brief taste of it when Trump was president and they're told how bad Trump is. Okay, fine. We can't have Trump. And it's like, yeah, but this is crap. Like, you're making me eat crap. Like, I don't want to have this kind of America. I'm not happy with any of this. And how do we fix it? And they say, well, whatever you do, you can't elect Trump because he's a he's Hitler. He's a dictator. And it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, but you suck. And mm -hmm. so, like, there's a demoralization and hopelessness factor that comes into um you know, like the toxicity of the politics when you're trying to indict your political opponent and when you're making him out to be, you know, this kind of, you know, 20th century genocidal murderer, uh, dictator type figure. And, you know, meanwhile, you do that bad a job that the mm -hmm. Bidens are doing. I mean, like these people are running around going, oh, my God, the country's over. Mm -hmm. Um you yeah, know, but the thing is, I just don't believe a word Biden says, right? But right. we're not there yet. So um, anyway, Prof brought that up, you know, and he's like, you know, like, what do you do with a country like this? And I, I don't know that anybody has the answer to that. Well, you know, I saw some other polling and I can't remember. It wasn't Rafini and it wasn't Ashlan Insights. I think he was retweeting it, but I, it was something... Um, 
like that. And they were basically looking at, so, so American sentiment is terrible. 67% of people think the country's going in the wrong direction. Who those other, you know, people are, I have no idea, but okay. Government yeah. employees. Yeah. Government employees. Yeah. Everything's government great. Employees. Right. But the, but the thing is, is that when asked, even with the economy, the country was completely divided about who they'd vote for, even though the people on the left who said that they, because Trump is beating Biden on every single thing, like 60, 70% say he's better on the economy. They think he's better on the stock market. They think he's better even on foreign policy. They, You go down the line, there's not one area, not one, I don't think, Trump, that Biden crime. is considered. Pardon? Like crime is going to be a big issue. In it's going to be a huge issue. But when it came down to it, even with all of that, even with the sentiment, even with a good chunk of the left saying that Trump would be better on everything, right. the way they would vote is they would vote for Biden. Right. Because so the question so there is, is that evidence of this, you know, kind of shy voter thing? And I'm not saying it is, but it no, might, I think might it's, have No, I think it. it's tribalism. Could be. I do. And I think that this, I don't think that we're ever going to have a blowout election again, not just because of all the voter fraud and the, you know, ballot harvesting and all that bull crap, but also because people have gotten so tribal that I think there's only like two or 3%, maybe not even that, who even can... Will, would change their mind. Um, okay, well, what I would say to that, I don't know that I disagree. What I would say to that is, is your blowout election comes from one of the two sides giving up. Giving up. Um, like, for example, that's what you just had in Louisiana this fall, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the mm -hmm. Democrats just gave up because, I mean, they, they ran this place into the ground. Um, we've, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're net population loss since 2020 in Louisiana is like 90,000 people, mm -hmm. um, which is like, that's not net out migration, which is way more, right? When you have, you know, 4.6 million people, you're going to have births more mm -hmm. than deaths that will keep that will, you know, your population's going to rise. And like the net out migration is so bad that it overcame even that and the population in total is dropping. Mm. Um, which is, you know, the legacy of the Democrats running the state for the last eight years. Mm -hmm. And so, like, their own people didn't show up to vote. Black Democrats particularly are like, forget it, I'm not even interested. Um, and their turnout numbers in, like, Orleans Parish, where New Orleans is, just through the floor. So you um, think that that's going to That's your blowout is when, when the people's like, I don't believe my side's stuff anymore. Mm. Um, now, the problem is, I think this affects both parties right mm -hmm. now because mm -hmm. democrats are not what they have and you might notice that they're actually trotting obama back out like there mm -hmm. was this photo op he did in chicago yesterday and he's got the santa cap on and he's reading books to little kids in the mm -hmm. school and it's like oh here we go mm -hmm. here we go we're gonna with like now like we all know Obama's actually running the country. So now Obama's going to be the guy that runs the campaign too mm -hmm. to try to pull this out. And yeah. maybe or maybe not that is a precursor to, you know, we're going to change Biden out and try to put Michelle in. 
which, you know, until we know for a fact that's not going to happen, we got to at least consider it, even though I don't think she'll get in. I don't think she I don't think you can you can't force her to do anything. And she really doesn't want to do the work. So I don't know that they would do it. But like she's the magic bullet for them because Biden is very problematic. Kamala Harris is worse. And everybody else probably wouldn't agree to be an Obama puppet. So you have to make Barack Obama the sort of guiding spirit of the Democrat Party. Mm -hmm. And we'll see what kind of popularity he still has. You know, I don't I think among his own people, there's a lot. And maybe he can shore up whatever black men, um, you know, uh, the sort of suburban wine mom type, you know, uh, mm -hmm. the awfuls. You know what an awful is, right? Affluent white female leftist. Mm -hmm. You know they all they all got the you know the quivering about Barack Obama for the first two times he ran. Maybe they think they can rekindle some of that and get the vote out for Biden that way. The point is he's back, which I'm not upset uh, about. I don't I, think he ever left, but well, I get it. But as a public persona, you really didn't see that much of him in 2020, mm -hmm. right? But it's pretty clear you're going to see way more of it now. Yeah. Right? Which, since uh, I have this, I'm like super excited to see Obama back. Like super excited. Um, by the way, this, this makes a phenomenal Christmas present. Splendiferous Christmas present. And speaking of, John, you know, our, one of our trusty uh podcast listeners thank you for going out and buying uh scott's book and encouraging your family to do it for christmas gifts that is a great thing um yeah yeah so we appreciate all you listeners who are doing that remember like and subscribe all of that stuff okay so Imagine so biden's numbers are in the tank you think it's michelle i think gavin newsom but you think I, it's not gavin newsom but i'm not i'm not saying that it's that it's michelle i'm saying that that's the magic bullet for them but like i have very serious doubts that you can get her to do it well the thing she, is what what happens like the old um the, this is what i think happens is they they bring trot somebody out at the convention oh yeah yeah, yeah. so somebody I mean, doesn't if, if it's if it's bad, like if, you know, if the polls show, you know, Trump's winning all the swing states and he's up five, mm -hmm. six, seven points mm -hmm. um, and they did all the legal, you know, the lawfare uh, mm -hmm. attempts to convict him on these stupid charges and none of that really works. Right. And you get to the Demo Democrat convention, they will absolutely parachute somebody in and Joe, Joe will have a, you know, whatever medical issue or something mm -hmm. and he has to pull out. Mm -hmm. But I kind of think that's a plan now. Yeah, I would think. I mean, you can't ride. You can't ride with a guy who's getting approval ratings at thirty three and thirty four, like Pew and Monmouth had this week. That's, you can if you're rigging all fine. the elections and you know that the outcome is a given. Well, okay, but if your guy is at thirty three, and if he's getting beat seven, let's say in uh -huh. pick a state, I don't know Nevada, right? Okay, seven points is a lot. That's really hard to rig without everybody knowing. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, that's hard. Now, if it's a 51-49 race, if it's 52-48, mm -hmm. 
then, you know, that's, I mean, depending on how far it gets, it could be a heavy lift. But if it's 54.46, okay, or in this case, it's not even 54.46 because you will have third-party candidates that are going to get some uh, percentage. I mean, RFK Jr., if he sticks around, is going to pull 5 to 8% of the vote. Mm-hmm. Okay, and he's going to pull it much more from Biden than he does from Trump. People have talked about this, you know. Oh, it's going to be more Trump's vote. No, it's not. That guy's going to. The more exposure he gets, okay, he's the way he's running. He's a liberal. Okay, he's on the left. Voters on. I the mean, right I was. I saw the polling, him. and he kind of pulled from both sides. Like the polling I've seen in the swing states, where you look with RFK on there. The thing is, is that like, I, I mean, I don't know why you're making it sound like Trump is a given for the nomination, because according to Noah Rothman, he thinks that um, at the uh, National Review, he just w- wrote a piece yesterday and I had to guffaw out loud that um, that. Uh, and I like Noah, by the way, just full disclosure, um, but uh, the that uh, Nikki Haley was a shoe in there's a path for her. So I was like, yeah, if Trump is dead or, yeah. or in jail, that, that is the path. That is the path. That's the path. Yeah. No, I mean like, and uh, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. Um, the whole Trump is a dictator. Trump is Hitler. Right. Right. Okay? That is an open call. For James Hodgkinson, if you remember who James Hodgkinson is, he's the guy that shot Steve Scalise, okay, at the at the you know congressional baseball team's practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, He shows up with a rifle. This is a call for James Hodgkinson's across the fruited plain to start chasing Donald Trump around with rifles, right? Like they are calling out a hit on Trump when they call him a dictator. All right? right, that's what they're doing. Don't think that, you know, that this is this is anything other than that. They are afraid that the indictments are not enough. They're absolutely afraid that their candidate is too feeble and uh, too politically untalented to beat Trump straight up. They don't Mm -hmm. think that their machine can turn out enough votes. And so now it's he's a dictator. The the health of our, our democracy is at stake. And blah, 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 blah. I mean, if you pay attention to, like, for example, Mark Elias on Twitter, it's the most unhinged, insane stuff possible. Yeah, but it's Mark Elias. I mean, he is not insane, is the thing. He knows what he's doing. Oh, he knows what he's doing. Mark Elias, by the way, for everybody, you know, for the people out in the back, is the guy who engine engineered the the lawsuits the in Georgia because right. and um uh before that the Russia hoax and before that the Russia hoax so this guy yeah. is an operator on the left he figured out that the um that in Georgia why they're trying to convict him there is because then Trump couldn't be on the ballot as a convicted felon in the state of Georgia and right. I think it takes him off the ballot in North or South Carolina. I can't remember which, um, which also has a law if you're a convicted felon. I mean, this would go probably to the Supreme Court. But, um, you know, this is Mark Elias. He's clever. Yeah. He's evil. And he is everywhere. Bad things are happening on the left. It's so weird. There's certain people who just pop up like a fungus 
There's a couple activists who over the years, and they, they've been Clinton people forever, and just nasty as people yep. you'd ever meet. And and you dig deep into some of the things that are going on, and it's always them. It's them. Yeah. It's them. Yeah. And Mark Lyons so, is one of those guys. And, and he is running around with his hair on fire, screaming that Donald Trump is Hitler. Right. Okay. Um, none of this is accidental. It's not irresponsible. This is just like everything on the left. This is, has been contrived and now it's executed because what they are trying to do is they are trying to gin up assassins to take Trump out. And this is why I say, I don't want to make too many assumptions about 2024 because you have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they won't give RFK Jr. Secret Service protection, right. despite the fact there have been two attempts on his life right. at campaign, um, should tell you that, you know, like, this, you know, don't assume any of this stuff is on the up and up. And right. so, and we, I don't know, it was a couple podcasts ago, I guess, you know, like what we talked about is like, yeah, you know, like, you could say to DeSantis, I think it's time to give it up because, mm -hmm. you know, like your people are Trump's people and they like Trump better than you and you don't have a path. And that's true, except you have to have somebody sitting there in the game if they do take Trump out, right. you know, and you get stuck with Nikki Haley, who is as Democrat light as you can get. And I mean, you want to talk about uniparty, Bush Republican, no change from the deep state tyranny that we have right now mm -hmm. is to make her the Republican nominee and the American people have no choice whatsoever in that election. You have to have somebody. Now, you may want Vivek Ramaswamy instead of DeSantis, and I can live with that. But, you know, if you're if you're um, a Trump voter, you need to have a backup plan because these people may very well instigate uh somebody taking him out and i'm not the first one to say that i mean tucker carlson has said it a couple of times as well and he's not wrong because it's patently obvious this is what they're calling for which is depressing to talk about i get it but well the thing you know, is is that you know I still say that Trump is the de facto person and all of this talk about a path for Nikki and everything else no. is just tiresome. So, um, oh, by the way, another volcano just erupted, this one in Iceland. And um, I'm wondering if the if Mother Earth is doing her part to make sure that she you know, stores her carbon credits I, I only bring this up because it makes me crazy because like, you know, one of these volcanoes goes off and it like is 10 years of climate change or carbon in the atmosphere. And supposedly your car and mine are the real cause of the problems here. How far? So annoying. How far? Um, you have to kill all the cows in Ireland to keep the climate from right. uh, changing one degree. And then you get a volcano in Tonga or Ireland or Iceland rather. And, you know, like, you know, a hundred years worth of uh, emissions right. that you're trying to stop, you know, and, and we're supposed to believe these people when 
you know, they trot out the Greta Thunbergs and the rest of these clowns right. you know, to tell us that, oh, your SUV and that steak on your plate are going to mm -hmm. kill the planet. Right. One of these days, I want someone to remark about the fact that a warmer planet is one which is more conducive to life, more conducive to crop growth uh, and, and high crop yields, because a warmer planet tends to be mean more convection, therefore more clouds, therefore more rain, therefore more fresh water available to the people. Um, fewer people dying of cold. Um, I want, I desperately want someone to begin remarking about the fact that Greenland used to be green, which is why they called it Greenland in the first place. And how, you know, England was one of the best places on earth, if not the best place on earth, to make wine back in the day. And now it's too cold in England to make wine. And they make wine in Spain and Italy rather than England, right? Like I would like very much for people to start talking about those things rather than listening to this idiotic climate change crap where they blame things that have nothing to do with the weather uh, on, uh, on climate change. Right. For example, you will hear these idiots talk about a volcano in Iceland being part of climate change. You will hear that. You, it's nonsense. You know, you this just it. makes me tired. This is so stupid. I, I can't take it. Of course, the climate's changing. It's always been changing. It's going to change. That it, it the, the earth, like a body, is a living organism. Yeah. It, it gains weight, it loses weight. It breathes, it moves. It it uh depending on the health of it, it gets warmer, it gets cooler. And and all of it is a self-regulating organism in order to sustain life. And the minute that God doesn't want it to be that way anymore is the minute that everything goes sideways. But until that time, what we do as individuals driving our little poopy cars or doing whatever is not making a dime's worth of difference in the long term. Because, you know, I, this is the one thing that there's this uh, 1950s dystopian novel, uh, or it might have been 1940s, called The Earth Abides. I highly recommend it. It's out of print now. I got a used copy of it. It's really, really good. But one of the things that I thought about watching it and I love or reading it and the title of the book being The Earth Abides, the earth is going to survive. You and I might not, but the earth will survive. Nature finds a way. Humans, on the other hand, are idiots. And so like, you know, we might uh, make it so that we, you know, nuclear annihilate ourselves or do something equally dumb. Um, you know, based on what's going on in the Middle East, I mean, I, I'm sure you saw the the something mile and a half, you know, truck wide tunnel that they found right, you know, yeah. on the other side of the border and the coming almost and there was and the opening of it came right up to where a um, Israeli uh, army. Um, I don't know if it was just an outpost or an actual base. But anyway, 
I mean, they're finding this, you know, complete uh, evil den underneath Gaza. And one of the conversations one of my friends had who's in building, he's like, you know, it costs $12,000 just to make a an average American cement driveway. Can you imagine how much money it took to use all that cement to make this tunnel system? All of it. All and of we it. paid this for is it. What, this is what they spent all this money that they were given right. to like provide water and electricity and, you know, housing and like all of this stuff for the people of Gaza. This is what they spent it on. Well, they did provide housing and electricity and everything. The people went underground to fight Israel and they're living underground and they have really nice ventilation systems. They have nice yeah. electricity. They have full kitchens. Like they were showing everything. It was, it's crazy. Like it's a whole city underneath there. Yeah. So they paid for it. We paid for it to we the tune of $6 billion a year. It's sickening yeah. what, what yeah. uh, you know, well, you know, and the thing about it is, is like, okay, so you go to the Palestinians, you say, hey, are you okay with this? Because that money should have been used to, like, give you an opportunity for a real life. Like, are you okay with the fact that this is what they use the money on? And you know what's sad? Most of them are. Well, yeah. If this is what it takes to, you know, drive the Jews out of uh, out of Palestine, right? Then I'm, I'm all for it. And it's like, well, then why in the hell should we care about your problems? Like, why should we ever give you money again? Like, why should we care right. if the, if you end up collateral damage when the Israelis have to bomb Hamas in that, you know, out of existence? Like, you know, you, like you've you have forfeited any claim to civilian status when you support all this. Right. This is I mean, you know, I, we, I go back to like Dove Fisher's column uh, a few weeks back. The American Spectre says. Dresden, these people, okay? Nobody gave a damn that Germans got freaking, you know, bombed to oblivion and, you know, uh, set off the firestorms in places like Dresden and Hamburg. And nobody cared about the Germans. You voted the Nazis in, okay? You brought this on everybody, all right? You caused all this trouble. That was your vote that did that. You didn't have to have the, the Nazis. You could have had somebody else, but you chose this. So you suffer. And he's exactly right about that. And and it's it's too bad that in, you know, the 21st century, there's, oh, well, every, you know, Palestinian life is sacred in Gaza. It's like, they don't regard themselves as sacred. They put up with Hamas having a military base in a hospital. Like, they put up with that. You could never do that in America, right? I mean, and we're supposed to be this kind of, you know, bloodthirsty, savage people. You would never like, hey, I'm gonna put you know Fort Hood under a hospital. Well, the right. answer is no, you won't, right? And Hamas or in uh, in Gaza, yeah, that's par for the course. And I'm supposed to respect that, right? Like, I'm supposed to say, oh yeah, we, we got to make sure there's no you know civilian casualties. There are no civilians now. You know, do you feel sorry for the people that got used as human shields? Sure, but that shouldn't interrupt the mission. That's insane. And the fact of the matter is, okay, um, we will be back at this again and again and again and again if 
Israel is stopped before they finish Hamas off. Well, you and know, the my, worst part about it is, mm, go ahead. Well, my concern is, is that I, I think it's spreading because, you know, like we've got these um, Maersk or however you say it, uh, ships in, in um, the, in the Red, Red Sea, sea yeah. being uh, attacked by Iran, ostensibly. And, right. you the know, Houthis, the United States is engaging, yeah. you know, we're starting to engage with them. And this is the possibility of this spreading in a major disastrous way. And, and already they said it's going to take two weeks longer. They said certain shipping from, you know, the East to the West. I mean, well, they have to go around Africa, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. See, my answer to this is pretty simple. Um, you pack up all of the Palestinians in Gaza and you bring them to Yemen. That's what you do. It's like, okay, well, uh, if you want to throw in with the Palestinians and you want to try to bomb shipping in the Red Sea mm -hmm. um, and you're Iran's cat's paw, whatever, you get people. You know, you shoot rockets at us, we shoot people at you. And now you're going to have to take care of the, all the Palestinians. We're going to bring them to Yemen where there's plenty of land, way more land in Yemen than there is in Gaza. And if the people of Yemen don't want Palestinian Arabs coming from Gaza, then maybe they should do something about the Houthis. To me, that's, you know, it's not hard to go and establish an airhead or a beachhead where now you're going to run a, you know, an airlift and you're going to move people from Gaza to Yemen. Boom, done. Okay. And you know what? Maybe, maybe instead of building tunnels and things like that with these people, if you're in Yemen and mm -hmm. I give you $6 billion a year, like maybe that money gets used to build apartments or schools or water systems or something, because yeah. what else are you going to spend it on? Right. You're not next door to Israel. So like, you know, maybe you can get a little bit of efficiency there. Now, the other thing that needs to happen is not in Yemen, but Qatar, mm -hmm. where Hamas's leadership, you know, hangs out in penthouse uh, hotel suites, um, pocketing all this money while their people are, you know, starving and dying and whatever. Right. And they don't give it. And nobody seems to give a damn about the fact that Hamas's leadership is like tucked away in Qatar and it's being protected by the Qatari um, uh, military and, and, uh, and secret service and the Iranians. Nobody seems to care about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Like these are war criminals. Like they should be at the head. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and instead, you know, it's it's hookers and blow. Right. <laughs> hookers and blow. They're they're going Amazing. to paradise early. They're going to paradise early right. and they're making they're making Qatar their yeah paradise is their they're, they're on the installment plan and the installment plan. Well, you know that kind of brings me to a tangential a tangentially is October seventh this whole uh, conflict the conflict the the attack by Hamas onto right. Israel has revealed some things here stateside because we we continue to see all of the anti-Semitism everywhere, all right. of this dissent on college campuses. 
And we actually have a writer um, coming up here at the American Spectator. I think the piece goes live tomorrow. And he's talking about the um, situation of all the anti-Semitism here. And one of the things that um, he and some other writers, save few exceptions, has been, has he he feels that uh, the Jewish people need to be in the um, critical theory hierarchy and the DEI hierarchy needs to be once again viewed as a, as a protected class. So you're seeing a lot of lefty Jews and even some on the right basically saying that the problem isn't DEI itself. The problem is, is that Jews are viewed as white. And, and so here's my thing with that. Oh yeah, the here we college go. College campuses full of teaching this right. terrible critical theory. You've got these highbrow lefties, not a few of which are Jewish, who their big problem is isn't that this uh diversity, equity, and inclusion, they they don't have a problem with that as a theory. They have a problem with not being included as a protected class. Because white people, white Christians kind of suck. Can we all just agree on that? And can't we just be part of the protected classes again? When the, and so I'm writing about this for tomorrow. And so uh, there was a podcast with Tucker Carlson, Tim, he was on Tim Pool's um, podcast with Charlie Kirk. And they're talking about white people not traditionally viewing themselves as, uh, as white. Right. Um, because yeah, I never ran about that myself. So yeah. Yeah. So we've had this kind of idea in America that that we're a melting pot, that and there's this Christian ideal, and I explained this in the in the article that is, you know, God doesn't see uh Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. To God, everybody's the same. And that as Christians, we're supposed to view everyone the same. We're supposed to be colorblind. We're supposed to be gender blind. We're supposed to see the person and love the person in front of us, even if they're an enemy, because that's another part of it. We're not tribal. We're not seeking vengeance because vengeance is the Lord's. Right. All right. So this is a very different idea than either the central tenet of Judaism or Islam or really any other religion where... That doesn't mean there isn't strife amongst Christians. Obviously, Ireland's a perfect example of the Catholics and the Protestants going at it. But in an idealized version of Christianity, you're colorblind, you are loving your enemy, you're not seeking vengeance. This is that's the the idea. And that was the foundation of an American idea. And sure. it's antithetical to this diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is identifying as a group so you're yeah. a woman lesbian person of color and by you know check 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 so or transgender now you are the most harmed class of person on the planet and therefore you get extra credit points and we should be helping you in any way and also white men are terrible they're colonizers well all of the dei stuff is coming home to roost with what's happening in Israel. And so you've got sure. people on campus going, 
well, we're brown people, and it was brown people over there feeling oppressed by the white Jewish people. Now, never mind that there's brown, you know, Jewish people right. or black Jewish people. That doesn't matter. Well, for the sake of argument and for for feeling good about ourselves with this, you know, this identity crap. What you know, Jews are white people. They're colonizers and they're oppressors. Right. So finally. We're getting a really great, solid example of how this doesn't work. And the people who've put, um, some of the people, the lefties who've pushed all of this are like, well, we just want to be protected. We don't want to get rid of this infrastructure because, hey, it's kind of right. great being a part of a protected class. There's a lot of power to be had. Sure. You're right. You don't want to give that up. Um, but my thing was, it's like what? what Tucker and Charlie Kirk were talking about, what happens when white people who are increasingly secular view themselves tribally and sit there and go, well, there, and this is bad news for everybody out there. There's more white people still. There's more yeah. white men still. You are a minority still. What that means, though, is when the majority views themselves as the uh, aggrieved class of people, what yeah. happens? Because well, might, under this whole thing, might makes right. There's no governing principle here right. of Christian charity. There's no you know forgiveness here. There's right. only will to power. And so when white people start identifying like, uh, La Raza does when you have the white version of that it doesn't go good places well we've already seen it okay I mean what you're describing is Nathan Bedford Forrest and the Night Riders in Tennessee in 1868 okay mm -hmm. uh you know you're you're describing the the, the Ku Klux Klan mm -hmm. uh you know not just all over the South, but all over the country in the 19, you know, late 19 teens and early 1920s. All right. I mean, you are describing all of these bad things that the left ascribes to white right. people currently. Right. Now they're going to get their money's worth because when you start acting as a, uh, a in a, a collective sense, as a tribe, um, you know, this is what you get. And, you, you know, you've seen all over Europe, you see, you know, whether it's the Basques or whether it's the IRA or whether it's all these different things. When you get people that operate from a tribal mentality, right. okay, I mean, the Balkans, all right? I mean, you know, the, the, the Serbs and the, and the, uh, the Bosnians and like you've seen white people are very capable of this kind of stuff. And right. we have been very blessed for the vast majority of American history that most of this in America is very transitory, mm -hmm. you know, because look at times, even within white people in America, you know, you like you have disparate groups. There were Irish, there were Italians, you've got the Scots Irish, you've got, the, you know, the, the English, you had Germans, you've had Scandinavians, you had all these different kinds of people. Look, right. All of my life, I have bristled at being called white. Right. Okay. Half of my family predominantly is uh, Cajun. 
The other half of my family predominantly is Scottish, okay? And you wouldn't think that there's much that those two have in common, but you'd be wrong because both of them, okay, are groups of people who were horribly treated right. by the British Empire. The, the French, you know, the Cajuns were French who lived in Acadia and they were booted out by the British when they took over that part of Canada and replaced by the Scottish, okay? I mean, my people, the Clan Mackay, okay, were from, were from Northwest Scotland and in like 1805, the British showed up with guns and ships and said, we're tired of you bastards. You're a bunch of horse thieves and rev you know revolutionaries. Get on the damn boat. We're kicking you out, and we're going to start crofting sheep on your land. And they didn't like it. They had no choice, but they all got on the boat, and they went to Nova Scotia. Okay? So, right. like, I got it on both sides of my family that, that were horribly treated. You think I can get reparations for anything? No. If I'm lucky, people will buy the Obama book and make me rich. That's as good as I can do. All right? Um, right. Because nobody's trying to give me anything for for you know the the, the historical sufferings of my people. Hey, so wait a minute. I don't want to be called. Go ahead. I have a question because I'm I too am Scottish, Clan Cameron, Clan Campbell, and um, uh, we were part of a sept in Ireland before we were in Scotland. But anyway, when did your family come over to Nova Scotia? Because mine did the they same. Uh, the Highland clearances were in 1805. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I mean, I, you know, so like my thing is I bristle at being called a white, you know, a white guy because it's like, well, all right, well, that tells me that I'm the same as Lithuanians, right. um, you know, Armenians, Greeks, right. right? I don't have anything in common with those people. I mean, like, I don't have anything against them, but no, their history is not my history. No, right. They're the same color. Give me a break. That means nothing. You know, right. and this is like they do this with Asians and it's worse because, mm -hmm. you know, you Asian, you could be an Uzbek, right. you could be a Pakistani, you could be a Korean, you could be a Mongolian, you could be an Indonesian, and they're going to call you Asian. They actually right. they actually call them APAC because they'll throw Tongans and Samoans in that same group, as though they have anything at all in common with Pakistanis. <laughs> right. it's, it's utterly retarded the way they do this kind of thing. Right, right. And it's all, you know, basically trying to uh, to group people into uh, uh, intersectional uh, tribes mm -hmm. that they can then control. And, oh, well, there's more power in numbers if we just say they're Asians. And, you know, and the Chinese and the Filipinos don't even like each other. Well, the so, Chinese and the, the Japanese and the Pakistanis absolutely don't like Well, each other. Indians and Pakistan. I mean, the thing is, the list of hatreds, you can go down them, whether you're white, Asian, or, right. you know, go to Africa, you're going to have the same stuff because neighbors hate neighbors. That's just a rule. I mean, the, you know, the, the Bantus and the Zulus and the, the Zosa, mm -hmm. those people don't like each other. They're all no. Southern Africans and they can't stand each other. <laughs> Part of apartheid in South Africa wasn't just to keep those people away from the white people. It was to keep them away from each other. Because right. the, the Bushmen were getting slaughtered all the time by the Zulus. Right. It was like, well, we got to do something because, you know, we, we don't have all this blood on our hands. And yeah, right. they were a bunch of racists, but they were also trying to govern. Right. And this was not an easy group of people to govern. 
No. Um, and so, you know, like the idea that, well, we're going to take some tribes that are largely disparate and we're going to put them into, you mm-hmm. know, political pressure groups, right? right? Asian Americans. And it's, it's like, you guys are so ridiculous the way you operate. And this is so anti-American, this critical mm-hmm. theory, intersectional project that these guys want to want to uh, want to lump everybody into. The entire point of this country was that individuals and families and people working together voluntarily were the basis of society, right. not what what you know what aggrieved tribe you belong to, right. You may not even like the rest of the people in it. I mean, even within, say, Jewish Americans, there are vast differences. Yes. I mean, this is the thing. Two-thirds of observant Jews in America vote Republican, right. right? They don't have these problems of, well, I think my group should be part of the intersectional. No, right. they don't no. want any part of that project because they don't believe in that. They believe in the actual American project. Which is about individuals and families and people working together voluntarily rather than sitting in some lecture by some freaking Marxist asshole who's trying to to lump people into a collective. Right. To benefit, by the way, the people in charge of the collective. Well, to benefit the elite. Yeah, right. And this is the other thing that I want to like make sure I get across while I'm doing this counter rant to your rant. Okay. which is that what you're seeing with the uh, with the 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 leftist Jews who are now going, wow, the DEI thing is great, but it's not great that I'm not part. It's like, okay, this is the socialism you asked for, right? Okay, the socialism you asked for, and you're not going to be happy to find this out. It ends with you in a ditch, face down, because you don't get to run the socialist paradise like you thought you were. Guess right. who gets to run that? Stalin. That's who gets to run it. Because when you when you eliminate all of the things that make up civil society, that govern a civilization, you know, who can make money, who can bring a product to market that people want, right. you know, who lives a virtuous life, who is a leader within their community on things that don't have to do with politics, who can mobilize people voluntarily to go and solve a problem in their neighborhood or whatever, right? There are a million different ways that people can achieve some sort of social mobility in a free society. When you take all of that away and you substitute for all of those great things that people will naturally do, and now you're going to impose political power as the only stratifying force in that society, guess what you get at the top? the most ruthless sons of bitches out there. The Mm -hmm. people who are willing to do things that nobody else is willing to do. If they will put a gun to your head and pull a trigger and smile, they get to run it because people get scared of them and give them power. And you know what? That guy will look at the pointy-headed intellectuals who thought DEI was a good idea, but they just wanted to be at the top of the totem pole. And he'll say... No totem pole for you. Into the ditch you go, because you're a pain in the ass. We saw how you behaved when the society was free. Now that my crew is in charge, we're getting rid of all the pains in the ass, and you're at the top of the list. And guess what? 
we like the capitalists better than you because those guys know how to, how to adapt to societal changes, right. right? They may not be happy, but they'll figure out a way. You're not about figuring out a way. You're about bitching. And guess what? You don't want to bitch when the society goes communist because the first thing they do, bitches get stitches, okay? <laughs> That's how it works. And these people do not understand this because they don't understand anything. These right. the intellectuals, the useful idiots, and all those people, whether it's Lenin or Stalin or Mao yeah. or Pol Pot or any of these communist dictators, Fidel Castro, those yeah. are the first people they get rid of. They put them in a ditch, they shoot them, they drop them in it, and somebody else buries them because they don't want any part of this. And these guys who are so miserable and have to complain about everything in a free society have no idea how good they get because you get to be a bitch in a, in a free society and people will tolerate. But right. the minute you get what you want, you find out you don't want it at all. Because well, the thing is, badly for you. we're seeing a taste of it, right? Because yes. who's angrier and who has more power intersectionally? Right now, it's the pissed off Arabs. And it's not fair and it's not right. But they know what to do with a gun. They know what to do. And they're not afraid to rip down posters. And they're not afraid to beat up and knife the Jew. And they're not afraid of doing all of that. And who's going to say anything? They're a protected class and they have suffered. Okay. So like, so, and this is how the communists take over. They feel aggrieved and then they, they take over and they're like, I'm, I'm in charge now. Right. You, you know, keep on talking. And I'll be doing, and I'll be oh, taking and by the way, power. And by the way, people learn from experience. And you know what the communists learn from experience? Which was Soviet communism didn't work because it wasn't brutal. Chinese communism made it because the Chiinese communists were perfectly willing to do Tiananmen Square. And then they said, you know what? Uh, we'll give you a private property in exchange. There's a social credit score, right? And when there were, you know, there was a Muslim uprising among the Uyghurs in Jan, uh, Xinjiang province. Mm -hmm. They said, okay, the answer to this is genocide. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's the communism that survived. First of all, it's the cultural revolution. It's you're not allowed to be a dissident if you're quiet, right? This is not a question of like the Soviet Constitution and, you know, the Obama Justice Department essentially uh, uh, brought this on as part of their philosophy. But the Soviet Constitution grants the freedom of religion. It says you can go to church and you can do you can worship in the church that you want to worship in. The minute you leave that church, you're ours. OK, so you keep that crap in the church. All right. And you live the communist way when you're not in church. Right. That's the Soviet Constitution. That's that's Russian communism. Chinese communism is we're coming into the church and we're going to tell the Catholics what they can say. And you're going to have a picture of Xi on the wall of the Catholic Church. All right. And if you don't like it, let's show you what we did to the Falun Gong or the Tibetans. OK. Right. So that's Chinese communism where they want to control your mind and they will put you through struggle sessions. and They will do whatever. They'll charge your family for the bull. All right. Every one of these people on the hard left in America today are Maoists. They are Chinese communists. They gave up on the idea that, you know, 
uh, Marxism is an economic construct and the state needs to control all the means of, of production or own all the means of production. They're OK with that. They'll take a fascist economic. But they want your mind and they will stop at nothing to control how people think. OK. And so this entire project with critical theory and DEI and ESG and, you know, the climate stuff and all the rest of this. All of this is about having total power over people's yep. lives. Yep. And if you want to know what the future these people have in, you know, for America and what they have in mind for us, go look at China. Mm -hmm. Go look at China. And, you know, it's like they, they will go on and on and on about the environment and the climate and everything else. <laughs> go look at China. Those people are wearing masks. It's not because they're afraid of getting sick. It's because you have to filter out all of the crap in the in the in the air in these cities, or else you're going to drop dead on the street. Okay, I mean, like that's how bad it is over there environmentally. It's the most polluted country on earth by far, and this is what this is what they will bring to America if you give them the power to do it. They don't give a damn about the about the uh, the environment. They don't care about any of that. No, shit. all I, they want to do yeah. is use this to get power. Yep, and it's obvious. Here's, for those of you watching, here's something fun. Go to your left-wing friends and say, hey, here's what I think we should do. I think we should both be able to agree on this, left and right. What we should do is we should do massive tariffs on the Chinese based on their carbon footprint. And mm -hmm. until the Chinese adopt the kinds of uh, environmental regulation uh, and you know tax structure and so forth, to lower their carbon footprint all right we're gonna we're gonna you know put tariffs 100 percent on chinese goods all right and see what they see what they say you may get a few of them that go yeah that's not a bad idea most of them will go oh no absolutely we can't do that It'll start a war right mm -hmm. well you're willing to impoverish your fellow citizens right. in the name of the planet the chinese are far worse than us mm -hmm. well we have to do what we can do like when you start getting those arguments, just stop and smile, really, because it's a all of it's bullshit, right? right? Well, it's the all thing bullshit. is, no, it's the, the, with all of this, I'm hoping that some rationalism will be injected here. There are there are some you know spots of hope, but I just. Um, well, people don't want to put up with this. I mean, people are at the end of their tether. They're done. And mm -hmm. and the Democrats are finding this out and they're finding out how screwed they are from the standpoint of typical, like usual American politics. Right. So that what's available to them are like novel legal theories and other right. means of getting what they want. Right. Things which have not been done like either ever before in America or not for a long time. And it's like, okay, so how ruthless are you willing to be? Right. And do you actually have the the, the horsepower to follow through and, and do these things? Because once you do the stuff you're going to do, whether it's putting Trump in jail on, you know, charges about documents, right, mm -hmm. or, or something like that, um, like what you get to govern doesn't look like what you have now. It certainly doesn't look like what you got in 2008 when Obama went. All right. Like 
Right. It's a different America. Um, and it's not all that easy in America to govern, right? Like you go look at these cities that Democrats have managed to completely dominate. Yeah. And every one of them is a is a crap hole. I mean, there's homeless everywhere. Nothing works. The schools are horrible. Businesses are all moving out. I mean, like you're ruling over a ruin and that might be fine. But when the whole country becomes a ruin, like, you know, it starts becoming much less fun. Um, and yes, power is seductive and people, especially people on the left, love it, um, you know, but you know, how long can you hold it when your side says, you know, this doesn't work, right? Which is, like I said, that's what happened in Louisiana. They had it for eight years mm -hmm. and they completely failed. And at the end of the day, their people gave up and stopped going to the polls. And the Republicans went in big. And now the question is, is how much of this can we roll back? Well, you know, just one little factoid, and then we need to get going. But um, another piece of data I saw today is that um, we have over 275,000 homeless in America. Um, I think there's more than that. I, there's got to be more than that. Well, all these illegals are homeless. What about well, them? Right. Well, and the other thing is when I was in L.A., you know, um, four years ago, there were 66,000 uh, homeless people in LA, the city. Right. Yeah, and no the county that. itself had 100,000 or something crazy, like just off the, you know. Yeah. And so like, that, I don't that know. Numbers, that number's got to be way low. Right. If there's not a million homeless in America, I'd be shocked. Yeah, yeah. But one or the other, we the what they did say is that we have more than we've ever had in the history of America, you know, and yeah. it, it's just. You remember how they used to scream about all of the homeless when Reagan was president? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were, you know, how many there were in L.A. at the time? There were probably like 1,500 people. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it was like they, you know, they would find some like some wino, you know, on Skid Row someplace and they'd go talk to him. Oh, well, you know, yeah, I've had a really rough life and I did this. Like, this poor bastard and he's homeless and he's one of countless right. Americans. And it's like right. now you've got entire refugee camps in downtown areas under overpasses. All the, and they didn't want to talk about that. Instead, the local government is like passing camping or ordinances where you can like just openly camp out on the streets of a city, you know, and, and like, the well, OK, so we've gone from it's a national scandal that you have a few homeless when Reagan is president to now it's like we're going to coddle these people and we're going to like treat it as though it's an alternative lifestyle. Right. Um, and then we're going well, to millions well, of people from the third world who can't right. afford to, to have a place. And if we're not going to give them $2,500 a month to live on, which they do, or put them in a luxury hotel in New York, which they do, like they're part of the homeless as well. Um, and it's fine. It's all fine. Everything is good. You know, and you can't blame this on Biden because these are things that he has no control. Of, is the narrative.
Okay. I thought you were actually saying that and I was going to no, what? No, I absolutely blame it on Biden. Son of a bitch is yeah. responsible for all of this. Right. Right. You know, I mean, you're the one like all of these people who are missing home payments and get turned out of their house. Right. Well, guess what? A mortgage payment. The average mortgage payment in America is 90% higher than it was in January of 2021. Okay. I mean, there is one guy out there who's responsible for this and it's Joe Biden. And so, he yes, could still, and, and the thing is, is I think he could still win the presidency, even with all that. Maybe, maybe. Like I said, I'm not going to assume anything about 2024. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, before we go, this is our last um, podcast before Christmas. So Merry Christmas, everybody. And Happy New Year, because we're not going to record next week. This is it. Right. But right. in the meantime... Hopefully you guys will go out and buy Scott's books, Racism, Revenge, and Ruin. Like amazingly good Christmas present. Amazingly good. Mm -hmm. Buy it on Amazon. Buy it on and Amazon. And leave us an Amazon review once you've read it. Yeah, there you go. And uh, so um, I want to thank you all. If you're happy with what you see here, with what we're doing with the American Spectator, would you please... I, I don't do this. This is the only time I think this year I have done it on this podcast. Please go. We'll put a link in the, you know, we'll put a link down here so that you can give. Um, we're doing our end of year giving. You know, you're, you're figuring out your taxes. You have a choice between giving to us and Uncle Sam. Give to us. We're so much more worthy than Uncle Sam. Don't, don't spend it in taxes. Uh, give to us. And uh, we can continue doing this. We, I'm just going to give a little plug about the American Spectator right now, like what we've done this last year. We have two missions. I don't know if you all know this. We have two missions at the American Spectator. One is to write and put out the best conservative political and cultural commentary. That's part of what we do. Another part of what we do is um, bring along young talent. This has been a part of the American Spectator tradition from the beginning. When Armit Terrell started uh, the American Spectator, when he was in college, he was a college student, we've always had young writers. We continue to have young writers. Our editor is young. Our um, two editors are young. Ellie Gardy, who is one of our young writers, has a book coming out this coming year. And we really, really, really support young people and developing them and giving them opportunities. And we have an amazing young staff. We've had an amazing young group of people and it's it's growing. I have about, you know, I'm the publisher, so it's my job to hire and fire and doing all that. And I have about three or four people right now that I'd like to hire and we just don't have the funds for it because we could help these young people. Not only are they conservative, which makes them exceedingly brave in this world um, to be that young and, and being and committed, um, but they need a place where they can be developed, have good uh, training, and then so they hold fast to their values when they go out into the wider world. We've had young writers go everywhere. We have young writers, people who start out as young writers who, at, who are at the Wall Street Journal or at the Detroit News, who are um, editors of a crypto newspaper, who are um, at, at 
the Washington Post, we, uh, you know, you name it, you name an organization, uh, a media organization, and I, we have young writers who started with us and now are there. And I mean, Greg Gutfeld was a young writer for us. Malcolm Gladwell, believe it or not, was a young writer for us. Uh, the editors of the uh, editorial page at the Wall Street Journal were young writers for us. We. On and on and on, we have people, even at National Review, our competitors, there's a couple guys who are young writers for us. Um, all over, Washington Free Beacon, Washington Examiner, you name it. So the thing is, is that any help that you give us, we're helping develop, people are bemoaning this younger generation. Well, I actually have good news about this younger generation. Yeah, there's some that are terrible, but they are made up for by the greatness of the young conservatives that I'm seeing. And they're smart. We've we've got writers from Notre Dame and Hillsdale and Wesleyan even um, from American University from, you know, we are bringing along people who have been brave in hostile college environments and were brave there and now they're brave here and they need the support. And so I'm asking you not just for um, the American Spectator, but for this program specifically, uh, it is paying dividends and it's the kind of thing that pays dividends for generations. So when you give to us, you're making a huge difference, not just for our institution, but for the future of truth in journalism. And, and, and it's encouraging. I get to work with these young people every single day. And so I can't get too cynical because they're pretty great. And they have survived a terrible environment, a world that you know people my age and older just can't even really fathom and have maintained their values and are doing really amazing, courageous work. So anyways, give if you can. Merry Christmas to you all. Thank you for being loyal and thank you for writing us. You can write me at Melissa, well, Mackenzie M, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E-M, as in Melissa, at spectator.org. Uh, where can people reach you, Scott? Because I get a lot of email to me that people are want me to give to you. Uh, yes, yeah, shoot me an email at Scott McKay, M-C-K-A-Y, all one word, at reviver, R-V-I-V-R, Okay. All right. Thank you all. Have a happy holidays and we'll see you on the flip side. Bye. Merry Christmas, everybody.